Hi, my name is Kay. The Old Testament reading is found in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. Now, once the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land that will be full of large and wonderful towns that you didn't build, houses stocked with all kinds of goods that you didn't stock, cisterns that you didn't make, vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant, and you eat and get stuffed. Watch yourself. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The word of the Lord. The New Testament is found in Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests, because by doing so, they sometimes have been host to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. The word of the Lord. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading, which is found in Luke 23, 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. He said, don't you fear God? Seeing that you've also been sentenced to die, we are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this means this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray. Thank you, Kay. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this Trinity Sunday, we pray that you would usher us into your unending life of self-giving love. Would you help us to know the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Would you help us to know more deeply the God who exists forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Would you speak to us through your scriptures? And would you help us to live a life of faithfulness to the God who is nothing but constantly faithful to us? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see those of you who are here in the room this morning and those of you that are online. We love you. We miss you. We hope that you are doing well. Happy Memorial Day weekend. We are praying for those of you who have lost loved ones or lost friends in military service, praying for you as you remember and grieve this week. Also, happy unofficial start to summer. Um, It is officially upon us. Can we take just a moment? If you are an educator, would you raise your hand if you are a teacher or professor or a school administrator or staff member or homeschooler or you just found yourself homeschooling and you weren't planning on it? Thank you all. Well done. I've, I've heard that this wasn't the easiest year for education. That's the, that's the rumor that's going around. 
but thank you for all of the adjustments that you made, all the pivots that you had to make, all of the uh, in-person, online, and back again that you did throughout the year. I know it was an exhausting time, and I pray that during the summer, the Lord would give you rest. That you would find the rest of the Lord during that time. Uh, this morning, we are kind of in between two sermon series. Last week, we finished our sermon series called Praying with Jesus, where we spent seven weeks walking through the Lord's Prayer. And next week, we're going to start a summer series in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to spend nine or ten weeks looking at that particular book. And so today, we find ourselves in a space in between. And as I was thinking about this morning and what to share, I kept coming back to the idea of remembering and coming back to the idea of what does it mean for Christians, for the people of God to remember? What role does memory play in the Christian faith? We know that memory actually plays a critical role in our humanity that is essential to the human experience, that memory actually plays a vital role in the formation of our identity and to family and to community, that memory plays this really critical role in our self-understanding and our understanding of how we relate to and belong with one another. This is why memory loss is so excruciating that it's not just disorienting in terms of where am I and what do I do, but there is a sense that memory is, the loss of memory is painful to the person who's losing their memory and to those who love them. If you've been in that experience with yourself or a loved one, you can see just the toll that this takes on relationships. And we sort of take memory for granted in that sense because it operates so much under the surface of our lives and what we do. Physiologically, memory is just the basic idea that we have the ability to store and recall information. That there is something about us as humans that we're able to, to store an incredible amount of information and recall that or retrieve that when needed. We do this consciously and we do it unconsciously. Consciously, we recite facts when we're asked on a test and we find ourselves at trivia night and trying to impress the person we're on a date with. And we're, you know, recalling things that we've learned along the way, but we do it with events and names and faces and places and even everyday tasks, such as how to put on our clothes or how to tie our shoes or how to walk and how to talk. These are all things that we learn to do and now we do out of an unconscious memory. Practically what memory does is it links the past to the present for the sake of the future. That allows us in a present moment to recall or recollect something that then allows us to determine what to do next. To, to take some sort of action or to respond to, we recognize or recall something so that we can respond to it. In fact, remembering often induces us to action, that we remember something and then we do it. So we even equate remembering to doing. If you've had those moments in life where you've sort of hinted at a loved one, what you really want for birthday or Christmas, and you open that present, and you look at them, and what do you say? Oh, you 
remembered. If a friend or loved one calls you on an important day, your first day at a new job or on your anniversary or on your birthday, they call and they say, happy birthday. And we say, you remembered. We don't say, you called. Right? We equate remembering with doing. There's a connection between these two things. And so oftentimes a failure to remember is a failure to act. It's a failure to respond. It's a failure to do something. And we know that that can have consequences for us. Just forget your anniversary once and just see whether or not that it has consequences in your relationship. Forget an appointment, forget a deadline. Don't show up to something that you forgot to put in your calendar. And there might be some consequences to that. Hypothetically speaking, maybe you're a college student and you're busy going about life and driving here and there and everywhere and back again. And you're just doing your normal life and going from one event to another. And maybe you just kind of forget about oil changes and those things for a long period of time. It might be that your engine doesn't like that. And there are consequences. At least that's what my mechanic said when I took mine in for a new engine <laughs> because I didn't do routine maintenance for like a year. It's important to remember. In fact, forgetting is actually something that can cause terror in us. I remember it without fail every semester in seminary that when we got to finals week, I would inevitably have the same nightmare. And the nightmare was this, is that I would wake up in the morning of finals week and I would suddenly remember that I had registered for a class that I went to once and then never went to again the rest of the semester. Does anybody else have this? Okay, a few, I'm not alone. You had this moment and in the memory, I would wake up and I would throw my clothes on and I would run over to like the uh, registrar's office. Like, is there any way I can drop the class? They're like, no drop dead. And like the drop ad deadline was months ago. Like you're gonna have to go to the professor. So I'd be running over to the professor. Is there anything that I could do? And the terror would hit that I am going to fail because I didn't remember and then I would wake up. And I'm like, okay, did I really forget? <laughs> Was that a dream? Is there a class? Did I go, did I go to, am I okay? Am I gonna graduate? Remembering is essential to who we are. It, we actually even develop all kinds of systems to help us remember. I mean, just open your phone and think about how many different apps you have on your phone that are entirely designed to help you remember. Whether it's your to-do list or your calendar or your voice reminders or your alarms, there's all of these things that are there. And if you're more of a pen and paper person, then you've probably got like a notebook in your back pocket and 7,000 sticky notes on your walls around your house. We're constantly trying to remember. Even our weekly rhythms are designed to help us remember. Oh, I take out the trash on Monday nights. Oh, on this day I do this, on this day I do this. And we have all these rhythms so that we don't forget. Even the creation of holidays are designed to help us remember. 
We have national or federal holidays like Memorial Day that are designed to help us remember things. Hallmark creates a whole nother list of 10,000 holidays to help us remember people and things in our lives. We follow the Christian calendar so that we can remember the important things that have happened in our faith. We even have all kinds of symbols and memorials to help us remember if you're married you probably wear a ring on your finger to remind you, oh yes, I vowed to another. It serves as a reminder. But memory doesn't simply play a critical role in our lives and our relationships. It plays a crucial role in our life with God. That memory and remembering is crucial in our faith. Throughout the scriptures, actually, the people of God are commanded to remember commanded over and over again, don't forget, remember, don't forget, remember. We find that this is a particular concern actually of the book of Deuteronomy, that in the book of Deuteronomy, this occurs over and over and over and over again. Here in this book, the book records the final words of Moses as he's speaking to the Israelites before they enter into the land that God has promised them. They've come out of Egypt they come through, they come to Sinai, they come through the wilderness. They're now on the plains of Moab, staring out into the promised land, ready to go in. And over and over again, Moses is telling them, don't forget, don't forget, remember, remember. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine says this, but be on your guard and watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things that you saw, so that they never leave your mind. Remember and reflect and constantly think on these things. And not only do that, but teach them to your children and your grandchildren so that they won't forget, so that they will remember. Verse 23 says, so be careful not to forget that the covenant the Lord your God made with you and not to make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. Don't forget. Chapter 6, the Old Testament reading from today. Take care that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Over and over again, Moses is commanding the people, don't forget, remember. And almost always, he's telling them to remember all that the Lord has done. Remember the Lord and remember what the Lord has done. Remember Egypt. Remember Sinai. Remember the wilderness. Remember, remember, remember. Which is really interesting, though, because largely he is addressing a new generation, a generation that was actually born in the wilderness that wasn't in Egypt and wasn't at Sinai. And he's talking to them about their children and their grandchildren and the generations that are going to come. He's telling those who are going to be descendants of those that came out of Egypt not to forget because they will not have direct access to the events of the past. But these events still are of utmost importance to them. He says, remember, remember, remember. See, as the story of God's people goes on, memory starts to take on theological significance because memory becomes the means of connection. 
Memory becomes the means of connection to Egypt, to Sinai, and to the wilderness, and as the people move into the promised land. Remember, remember, remember. But we know it's really easy to forget. Like forgetting comes almost more naturally to us than remembering does. And if you think about the people of God's story with each day and with each generation, forgetting becomes more likely. There's something about aging and something about the passing of time that can make it harder for us to remember. I mean, think about any of us, how much do we remember about the time that we were three or four or five? We can remember better what happened yesterday than we can what happened last week, last month, last year, last decade. With the passing of time, remembering becomes harder. But that's not the only thing that actually makes memory hard. There are other things, particularly in our spiritual lives and our walk with God, that can make memory difficult. Two things that become forefront in the book of Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the scripture are crisis and comfort. The crisis and comfort can actually create amnesia in us, especially in our life with God. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, as Moses is talking to them about what it's going to be like when they go into the land to take possession of it, what they know about the land from, uh, from the spies that had gone in is that these are fortified cities, that these are places that are going to be difficult to conquer. They know coming in that these are strong inhabitants in the land. In many ways, what we know about that time period is we had all of these city-states who had kings who were propped up by Egypt. That here they had been trained and resourced and, and fortified by Egypt who was controlling that area. And here this group of freed slaves who's been wandering around the desert for 40 years is supposed to go in and take this land. They know that they are going to face resistance. They know that this isn't going to be easy. They know that there are hard times ahead. They know that they're going to find themselves in crisis. And what does God tell them to do? Remember, remember, Deuteronomy 7, verse 17, if you happen to think to yourself, these nations are greater than we are, how can we possibly possess their lands? How can we possibly get through the thing that we are facing right now? Don't be afraid of them, but remember, remember instead what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. We're coming at the end of 15, 16 months of one global or national crisis after another. We have been in a time of crisis, of one crisis on top of another crisis. And in addition to that, we'd have not just the national and global things, but our own personal things. Some of those which may be related to those crises, others of which are completely unrelated. They're just part of being human and living in this place. We find ourselves so often in life going, this is not as simple as I thought. This is not as easy as I hoped. How many times have we been in a situation where suddenly our health or the health of someone we love was suddenly fleeting? Just this seemed to be going so well and then all of a sudden something changed. Or maybe you've been working on a business or working in a career and finally starting to get some traction, then all of a sudden, oh, your job's being terminated. When? Now? Oh, okay. Find yourself in crisis or the relationship that you were counting on 
friend or a loved one, a parent, a fiance, a spouse, all of a sudden that relationship's gone. Your kids you've invested so much in, suddenly they're struggling. Like, oh, what do we do? And oftentimes when we face those kind of crises, they lead us into a crisis of faith. We find ourselves going, God, where are you? Or God, who are you? Are you the God that I've, I've heard about? Are you the God that said this, this, and this? Like, where are you? Why isn't this proving to be true? Who are you? Are you? Like, are you real? Do you hear me? Do you see what's going on right now? Will you do something about this? Remember one of those moments for me, we had just finished up a season in seminary, uh, eight years living in Kentucky, and it was, everything was great. <laughs> like, we had a crisis at the very beginning, but we had uh, ended up with a deeply rooted life there. But my full-time income job was uh, going away, and my, I was a bivocational pastor, and that couldn't really afford family life, especially as we were surprised expecting baby number three. Why is the third one always a surprise? Does that, I don't understand, um, but it just happens a lot. So, I mean, we're in this place, and all of a sudden going, I don't know what we're going to do, and a job comes available for us. And it's like, wow, maybe, maybe this is it. It was kind of the first job that came along the way, and we wrestled and prayed and thought it through and decided to move across the country and take a job at, a, a, uh, at another church that we hadn't been at before. And Sarah was eight months pregnant, which is a great time to move across the country. And, um, but the, the, the job afforded us a chance to buy our first home. And we're like, okay, this, this, maybe this is it. Like the Lord has, has provided. And then we find ourselves like in a month going... We've made a mistake. Like, this isn't going to work out. And what are we going to do? And we, we, we've bought a house. We can't just sell it. We, we do that, then we're going to lose all of this. And, and for two and a half years, just going, God, where are you? Every other job that I applied for, I was one of the two finalists. Didn't get the job. <laughs> Everything I tried at the job that I was working, like, just didn't work. It's like, oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Oh, oh. And found myself in a place going, God, I, I missed it. Or I missed you. Or I don't hear your voice. Or maybe you led me out into the wilderness to die. <laughs> like, Numbers became the go-to book at that point. You're like, what's up? Something I can quote right now. Numbers, that feels good. People angry with God. I can relate to that. It was two and a half years before Glenn called and said, hey, are you interested in New Life Downtown? I'm like, yes! <laughs> Get me out of the wilderness. But it's so easy in those moments just to forget. To forget everything that came before. When in crisis, what do you forget? What do you remember? Maybe you find yourself there right now, facing some crisis. What are you forgetting in the middle of it and what are you remembering? So what happens for us is when we find ourselves in the midst of crisis, we begin to discount or dismiss or completely ignore all of God's past faithfulness to us. It's really easy just to shut all of that down. Yesterday's answered prayers start to mean very little. Last year's mean even less. Those that were answered for people decades and generations ago seem meaningless to us. 
Well, yes, you may have been faithful to them, but what about me and what about now? In our life with God, we are oftentimes, what have you done for me lately, people? And we begin to forget all that God has done in the past, all the ways that God has proven himself, shown himself to be faithful. And so the scriptures remind us in crisis, they remind us over and over again, recall and recite God's works. Tell the story again and again and again and again. Recount all that God has done. Why? Why is that encouragement there? I think it's there to remind us that the Lord who got Israel out of Egypt, the God who led his people through the desert and into the promised land, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who sent his spirit to to fill the church, the God who found you, the God who freed you, the God who healed you, the God who provided for you from this day, from that day until now, the God who met you in your darkest place and brought you into light, the God that got you through that last crisis and has gotten his people through every crisis they've ever faced before. That God will get you through this crisis as well. It's reminding us to go back and tell the story so they remember that the God that was faithful then is faithful now and will be faithful in the future. He will in some way get us through this. It won't be in our time. Like we know that. I mean, if you've been following God for five minutes, you know that things aren't going to happen in the timeline that you want. And it's not going to happen in the way that we want it, the way that we imagine. So many times like, God, okay, last time you did this, could you just do that again? Like in the same way and in the same time, could we just like, like pre-packaged, can I order that up somehow and like get that same kind of deliverance and provision as you did last time? It's not going to happen. It, God does not work that way. It will be different than the last time. And it will take longer than we think most of the time, or at least longer than we want. And it won't happen according to our plans and purposes but they will happen according to his. The God who was faithful yesterday is faithful today and he will be faithful tomorrow. And so what happens is, is we start to recount the stories of the scriptures as we remind ourselves how God has been faithful to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, as he's been faithful to Sarah and to Hagar and to Rachel, as he has been faithful to Mary and to Joseph. As he's been faithful to the early church, as he's been faithful for thousands of years. As we start to remember, oh wait, this is where God met me. This is how God provided for me. This is how God answered that prayer. This is what God did in that moment. As we begin to do that, as we remember the great story and we remember our story, what happens is, is that faith rises up in us. Remembering actually fuels faith in our crisis. And it's in the remembering that we suddenly find faith bubbling up in us. It's not because suddenly like, oh, this is just different and it's all better and we're pretending like it's okay. It's not that. Faith doesn't come suddenly when things just drastically change. Faith comes when we look at this through the lenses of all that God has done before. And we start to see this differently. Not because it's changed, because we're like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. I know the God who got me through that can get me through this. Remembering fuels faith in our crisis. Not only can crisis create amnesia for us, so can comfort. In fact, maybe more so. Comfort may be more dangerous to our faith than crisis. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is talking to the people and he's looking years ahead. He's looking past Joshua. He's looking past judges. He's looking to the time of David when everything is at peace within the kingdom. And everything is as they had dreamed it was for generations. He's looking to a time of comfort and success and affluence. And he says this, he says, when you eat and you get full and you build nice houses and you settle down and when your herds and your flocks are growing large, let it be, Lord, your silver and your gold are multiplying and everything you have is thriving. What does he say? Don't become arrogant. What does arrogance look like? Forgetfulness. Forgetting the Lord your God, the one who rescued you from Egypt, from the house of slavery. And then he goes on and repeats other things that the Lord has done. In verse 17, he says, don't think to yourself, my own strength and my own abilities have produced all of this prosperity for me. No, no, no. Remember the Lord. He's the one who actually gave you the strength in the first place. Like all of the ability that you had to do that, all of the opportunities that you had, the very breath in your lungs, everything that you have comes from him. And he is the one who gave you the ability to be prosperous in order to establish his covenant, the one that he made with his ancestors, with your ancestors. This is how he's proving himself faithful. And that's how things stand now. We're in the midst of a really unique season where particularly in the U.S., we find ourselves coming out of a crisis, coming out of this global pandemic. It's not that way in the rest of the world. There's lots of places in the rest of the world that are still suffering unbelievably because of this. And it's not true for every individual. There are some that are still sick, and there are some who were disproportionately affected by this more than others. There are some that this is going to linger for a long time. Those that lost loved ones, those that lost jobs, those that were displaced in some way. But for many of us, there are signs of return to normal. There are signs happening all around us. Mass mandates are uh, going away. Vaccines are readily available. Sports stadiums are filling up to full capacity. Summer concert tours are being announced. Vacation plans or wedding plans are being signed. And we're thinking, we're not going to have to change it this time. We're actually going to be able to go to Disney or wherever it is. People are coming back to church. The economy is starting to move forward. And maybe even if it's not all of those things, maybe individually you find yourself in a season of joy and prosperity. Maybe you've met someone and you just started dating or you just got engaged and you're planning your wedding or you just got married and you're so glad that the wedding planning is all done. You don't ever have to do that again. Or you graduated or you got promoted or you got a raise or you got a home in this market. And we're like, yes, look at all of these things. It's easy in the midst of all of that to begin to forget God, to actually start to believe that we did all of this ourselves. And say, like, look at us. We got this. Look at what we have done. Forgetting all of the prayers that we prayed for the last 15, 16, 17, 18 months. Like, none of those are answered prayers anymore. They're all like our own accomplishments, right? I remember there was a time when I first got to college, I find myself just praying all of the time, feeling unknown about my call and my future and what things were going to look like and 
kind of just spending, especially freshman year, as it seemed like everybody was so certain about different things and me feeling really uncertain, being new to faith and praying and fasting and pleading out to God and continuing to do that in sophomore year. And as I got into junior year, it seemed like everything kind of locked in. I was dating a girl, not Sarah, another girl. Um, <laughs> and I, I thought that that relationship was going to end up in marriage. And I was working as a youth pastor at this growing church. And I was like, well, that's just going to be my, it's my full-time job now. It's going to be my full-time job after college. And so all the plans were made. It's like, I got this. My friends were all starting to pray now. <laughs> They're like, what are we going to do? We're going to graduate. We've got to find internships. We've got to set this up. We've got to set that up. And I was like, I got this. And what happened? Praying, fasting, just started to slip into the background. I was comfortable. I was set. I was all set to go. Little did I know in the next couple of months it would all fall apart. But at the time, <laughs> I, I felt this sense of like, ease, I got this. And slowly and surely, I began to spend less time remembering God and remembering his faithfulness. So what happens is that rather than producing gratitude, prosperity can, pr- can produce pride in us. It's meant to produce gratitude. But oftentimes it produces pride. And that's why it can even, I think, be more dangerous to our faith. But even in those places, Israel getting settled in the land, and Moses says, don't forget, remember, remember, remember. We need to remind ourselves that everything that we have is a gift from our loving Father. And see, when we do that, when we stop and we remember and we reflect, what happens is, is that remembering actually generates gratitude in the midst of our comfort reminds us, starts spilling out of us in gratitude. And eventually that actually starts spilling out in generosity. As we know like, oh, look at all that the Lord has done. How can I share that from here? And the scriptures remind us over and over again, don't forget in a crisis and don't forget in comfort, but remember me. In fact, this is actually the central thing that we do every Sunday. That when we come together to worship, our central act is an act of remembrance. This is what we do. We heard it in our New Testament reading. We're going to hear it in a second when we come to the table. That when we come to the Lord's table, we even say the words, do this in remembrance of me. To remember is to worship. This is what worship is. It's an act of remembrance. We recall all of his past deeds in the present. We remember all that God has done. And as we remember, the living God is present to us in those moments. As we remember all he has done, he is present with us, preparing us for whatever is ahead. This is actually core to all the things that we do on Sunday mornings. We recite the creeds, why? To remember the story. We observe the calendar, why? To remember the story. We read the scriptures, why? To remember the story. We sing the songs of faith, why? To remember the story. We're constantly trying to remember. This is actually even why we worship every week. We worship every week because it takes us not that long to forget. Have you ever thought like, wow, this whole weekly worship thing kind of feels a bit like overkill? Like, can't we do this like monthly? 
or, or like bi-monthly? Is there like another way to, to do this that just seems like it fit like our schedule and rhythm maybe a little bit better? Like, because surely there's got to be something more convenient than like weekly commitments to these kinds of things. Like, why do we do it so often? Because it does not take us long to forget. It doesn't, Monday morning, I've forgotten. It's like, oh yeah, this is actually even why not only do we corporate worship, but all of the practices that we put into place in our personal lives, they're all acts of remembrance. We're sitting before the scriptures and we're remembering. We're praying in faith, remembering all of the answered prayers that God has already given to us. It's even why Christians throughout history have gone on pilgrimage, of going to places why? Because sometimes like just being back in that place helps you remember what God did there. Like, oh, yeah, 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 Okay. God did speak. God did show up on my behalf. It's even why Christians throughout history have said it's really important for us to share our testimony, to share our story, to tell people about what God has done in our lives. Why? Because it's so easy for us to even forget our own story When's the last time that you had a chance to do that? To just sit down and tell someone what God has done. Do you remember what happens when you tell that story? When we sit down and we say like, okay, let me, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you how God showed up. This is why in our meal groups, we encourage people, hey, for the first like month in your meal group, don't do anything except tell your stories. Share how God showed up in your life. Because when we remember, all of a sudden faith rises up in us and gratitude rises up in us and generosity rises up in us. But not only that, but when we remember, we actually encounter God. And we encounter him again. It's like, oh yes, you're the one who is faithful then and is faithful now and will be faithful forever. We remember him. And what we remember most though is actually something really unique. As the people of God, what we remember most is that he remembers us first. What we remember most is he's the one who remembers us first. In the Bible, it's not our remembrance of God that moves the story along. It's not our ability to remember and our faithfulness to remember that actually is the driving force of the story. That when we look at the scriptures, what moves the story forward is God's remembrance of us. Throughout the scriptures, you see God remembered Noah and Abraham and Rachel and Isaac and Hannah. Over and over again, it says that God remembers his covenants. Now, that doesn't mean that God ever forgot. Right? Remember, remembering is also mean doing. It becomes synonymous even in the scriptures. That what's happening is, is that God is acting on his people's behalf. That he's binding himself fresh and anew to a new generation of people. And God is binding himself fresh and anew. said, oh yeah, that promise I made to Abraham, oh, I'm also making it to Isaac. Oh, that promise I made to Isaac, oh, I'm also making it to Jacob. Oh, that promise I made to Jacob, I'm also making it to you. I'm binding myself fresh and anew. I'm remembering my promises. I'm fulfilling them. I'm acting on them. I'm continuing to intervene on your behalf. We see this even on the cross. Maybe especially on the cross that Christ remembers us. One of my favorite stories of those crucifixion moments is when those two thieves get into that squabble with one another, right? They start fighting with one another, arguing on either side of Jesus. 
And the one thief sort of stops their conversation and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, surely I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I remember you. I remember you. Certainly paradise has not come for us yet. But God is with us. God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten you. And even if you find yourself in crisis or in comfort forgetting him, failing to remember, the beautiful thing about God is that he never fails to remember his people. He never fails to remember his promises. God always remembers us. God is always with us, always acting and intervening on, his be- on our behalf. And so when we come to the table, we come to remember for sure. And we come to encounter. We come to encounter the God that remembers us. In our own remembrance, his remembrance of us is greater. Evan, would you lead us to the table this morning?